0: As Taylor said just a moment ago, we are continuing this morning in our series in Deuteronomy. We'll be in the sixth commandment today, which is do not murder. And we're going to take the opportunity to expand that, as Taylor said, to talk about the sanctity of all of life. The phrase I like to put on it is from womb to tomb. Uh, We look at that. And it is my privilege this morning to get to introduce today's preacher, Miss Carolyn Shragge. Carolyn is the executive director of Life Choices Health Network here in Joplin. If she looks familiar to you, Carolyn preached for us back in the spring of 2019. So for those of you that have been around for three years or so, you probably remember that morning. In fact, Carolyn reminded me this morning that the uh, tornado sirens went off as she was preaching that day. So she's a champ and she kept on rolling right through that. I love that Carolyn is now taking on a more official capacity here at Ozark Christian College. She is one of our two newest trustees, and I just want to say um, publicly and to you that as an employee of this place, I am elated and so grateful for you serving in that capacity and can't wait to see how God will use that. Um, one of the joys of my life is I have had the opportunity to have some firsthand encounters with Miss Carolyn. When I started college 18 years ago, I met a nice young lady named Carissa Shragi, who uh, was a tall, red-headed volleyball player whose family had been missionaries in Kenya. Little did I know that decades later, I would live in the same town with her parents. And so here we are. As you saw just a moment ago, my wife Maggie works very closely with Carolyn on the Rise Coalition. You heard Maggie talk about the Victims Response Team. Miss Carolyn leads that up and helps advocate for these victims, making sure that they are taken care of physically, emotionally, spiritually, all these different ways. As I said, Carolyn and her family were missionaries in Kenya for 20 years. This woman has done a lot of things in all sorts of various spheres in her life. Not for Carolyn, not to point out her own name, but so that she can continue to point people constantly back to Jesus and his call on their life. Hmm. There's a lot of words I could use to describe this woman. She's kind, she's humble, she's compassionate, she is fierce. You do not cross Carolyn Shragi because she does not suffer fools, and I love that. This woman has so many things, but the phrase that I would like to give you today is that she is an advocate for humanity, and that is not for humanity's sake, but as I said just a moment ago, That is so that she can constantly say, Jesus loves you. This is in the name of the gospel. This is so that I can point you to the author and perfecter of our faith, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it is my distinct pleasure to get to introduce to you today our preacher, Miss Carolyn Schragge.
1: Here, after very hesitantly accepting an invitation to speak in the chapel series on sexuality, I learned that I would be sandwiched between the great orders of Michael DeFazio and the Garrus duo. Well, it was a once-in-a-lifetime terrifying honor, but I figured that I would never be invited back again. Then the summer of 2020 rolls around and Isaac sends an email and asks if I would be willing to join a host of seasoned scholars and would I cover the topic of murder. Sex and then murder. I'm not really sure what that says about my reputation. But seriously, it really is an honor to be invited here today, even though I may feel very inadequate for the task at hand. You know, many, many theologians, they would agree that this sixth commandment is considered one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted of the Ten Commandments. Do we as God followers, do we really need to be told that we are not to participate in the illegal or the immoral taking of another human life? Perhaps that day on the mountain, as God was revealing the core absolutes of obedience, Moses realized that there just were not enough flat stones or there weren't enough man hours to chip away an entire sermon on the sanctity of human life. And so he sums it up in four words. Thou shall not murder. Or basically, hashtag, womb to the tomb, justice for all. You know, Genesis 1.26, it already reinforces this core value as it reads, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in His own image. We've been given a mandate, a mandate not only to value all human life, but to really seek to protect all human life within our sphere of influence, because all lives are created in His image. It sounds so simple. So why in 2020 does it still seem so complex? As a missionary nurse who worked in Africa, there were many times that I was given the opportunity to protect life within the clinical settings. But I vividly remember a specific day when a young African preacher When he came and he asked if I would go with him to a local hospital, he was very concerned about the welfare of a relative of his and her unborn child. Our family was suddenly drawn in to a journey that was very raw, very up close, and very personal. When entering that particular hospital ward, there were beds upon beds of very, very sick women but I was struck by the gaunt eyes and the emaciated body of the particular individual that I had been asked to visit that day. She had no way to pay for the very expensive drugs to treat her tuberculosis, and she was in need of an immediate blood transfusion. Well, we had the resources to be able to pay for the expensive medicines that were needed, and I very quickly scouted out the lab that was there in the hospital and donated two pints of blood that could be tagged specifically for her. When returning that next day, I found that she was even weaker, and she could barely open her eyes, but she nodded to the bloody rags that were at the foot of her bed and there, hidden beneath the bright-colored conga cloth, lay the tiny form of a little baby girl. In Swahili, she whispered, Jinalake, Violet. Afadali, mimi, yangu. Her name is Violet. Please help me. Please help my child. I quickly located the nurse that was in charge, and I demanded to know why this little child was not getting the medical care that was needed. Her eyes would not meet mine. And she quietly stated that the doctor had determined that they were not to waste their limited resources on this one. Well, I asked to be taken to that doctor, he shrugged his shoulders, said if I wanted to take care of the baby, he would release her to me. Baby Violet was less than three pounds. She had a severe cleft lip and a cleft palate. That night, when my husband drove in for his two-day village seminar where he had been teaching, he walked into our home to be greeted not only by our, our three little ones, but also by Baby Violet. For the next 12 weeks, we tended to baby Violet and we made daily trips to make sure that her mom was being taken care of and getting the care she needed. When the mom was strong enough, she was discharged back to her village. And so every two-hour feeding that we were doing with baby Violet, we worked hard to make sure that she was strengthened so that she could be reunited with her mom. We talked to physicians here in the USA to talk about reconstructive surgery that she was going to need. And I remember the day that we were able to go with our kids and go to the village and return baby Violet to her mom's arms. Our family then had to leave that region to go to the capital city because we kind of put off some things that we needed to tend to for several months. On our return back, we were met by the young preacher that was related to Violet's family. He wanted to be the first to let us know that Violet's mother had died of the complications of AIDS. The women of the village had refused to feed baby Violet because they presumed that she too would be positive for HIV. She was left To starve to death. I was so angry at these people, and I was angry at God, and I was mad that what could have been this incredible living testimony to His greatness was suddenly stolen by death. Several months passed, and I was walking along a path one day to get my little ones from a neighbor's house, and I was joined by an area church member, and after pleasantries were exchanged, he then told me that recently at their church, they'd been talking about a lot of things, and they were trying to understand how it was that a family would move from a country far away to their country, and then would choose to take in one of their own babies to feed and live with our children. He asked if I would go to the other missionaries on our team, and would I please share with them that they wanted help because the church needed to build a home for other castaway babies, like baby Violet. The Bahati children's home became a reality, and many other children that were taken from the streets or taken from the slums were given a home, given love, and built a bridge to kingdom life. The compassion that was extended to one tiny little discarded life was used by God to bless a generation of so many. But without that heartbreaking journey of baby Violet, where would the next generation of hundreds of children be? I think it's only fair for you all to know that I've shed tears, I've lost sleep, and I've struggled to know how best to navigate a message on the sanctity of human life, especially within the Western church culture, where there are so many polarizing perspectives that have led to a lot of unkind conversations of rage and social media rants on which lives matter most and which sins of devaluing life are greater than others. If we as the church, if we can't learn to temper our conversations with grace and with compassion for each other, how can we expect the world who doesn't know Christ to possibly react in these days of turmoil? You know, today I don't presume that everyone will know my heart nor automatically decide not to discount my words because I simply am not a theologian I'm a nurse, or because I'm female, or I'm fair-skinned, or that my age would preclude me from being considered relevant, or that I champion a pro-life effort that many would want to dismiss as political. My task today is not to win you over to my perspective but rather it's to encourage, and it's rather to hopefully inspire one another that we can keep learning and we can keep working to be encouraged to affirm all lives and to collectively invest in creating a culture for life and not just any life, but for abundant life. In a recent issue of Relevant Magazine, one of the authors states, and I quote, he said, if we are going to stand for life, Do we get to pick which life we stand for? No. If we stand for life, we stand for all life. And if we say we are pro-life, we better be pro-Down syndrome, pro-black lives, pro-autism, pro-immigrant, and even pro-persons of a different ability. The very essence of biblical justice is confirmed right here in this sixth commandment a stand to value, to respect, and to honor and protect life. It's a courageous commitment to obedience, and it's not limited obedience for a -a once-a-year sermon on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday or a response to a political commercial that's put out there, but it is our daily lives of truly sharing that genuine love for others, no matter what the investment cost, and no matter what the earthly outcome. You know, not only, as Isaac has said, did my husband and I serve in Africa, but I actually grew up in Africa, the daughter of OCC grads. And in my very early years, I was that minority child. I witnessed firsthand the atrocities of the apartheid. And later in my childhood, well, I was ostracized by white, classmates, because our family had so many friends of color. After attending OCC myself and then going on to get my nursing degree, my husband and I then went on to an unreached people group in a completely different region of Africa. And there we saw the genocide of tribalism. You know, I had to learn very quickly how to treat spear and gunshot wounds in the aftermath of many of the ethnic cleansing clashes. We were pulled into deep debates about the victimization of young girls that were forced to go through female genital mutilation. And when the bombs were set by religious sects in the name of Allah, we saw the leveling of the U.S. Embassy and the murder of hundreds of innocent lives. Well, when we returned to the USA 20 years later, I knew very little about the pro-life movement in America, but I was invited to apply for a nursing position to shore up the HIV and the sexual health services of Life Choices. I had no idea what a landmine of hostility and prejudice, even among Christian circles, surrounded that pro-life and that pro-choice rhetoric. Now, working in the field of sexual health services for the last 17 years, you know, I've been privileged to work with a team that every day strives to create that safe space in our clinics so that those of all ethnicities, of all ages, of all sexual identity, religion or non-religion affiliations, are welcomed and given access to compassionate medical services in recent years, this open-ended love approach has really taken us into deep, dark circles of sexual exploitation. And I'm privileged to work with Maggie Shade and with others in bringing attention to this effort that's happening right here in our region. You know, today I work with some of the finest men and women in law enforcement, both at the federal at the state, at the county, and at the city level. Men and women who are committed to justice on behalf of these survivors. Championing a stand for life, it's not merely geographical, or philosophical, or political, but it's practical. It's implementing daily the honoring of the Sixth Commandment. So how do we do this right here, right now in 2020? Well, sadly, in our country alone, the history of racism would say that black lives don't matter. And the movement of eugenics, well, that really nudges the notion that anyone with a birth defect anomaly doesn't have a right to survive. The white nationalist movement. Well, that would prompt the movement that immigrants are unwelcome and that their lives are of no value. And the pro abortionists, well, they would work endlessly to legalize the murder of the pre born and then to justify their self centered choice while profiting on the services that were really birthed in targeting the demise of non white minorities. I asked Isaac and I really wanted to bring a team of people, of my friends, that could share their different values and perspectives on the sanctity of human life, but obviously in this season the challenges were a little bit difficult. So I reached out and had lunch with several of these friends, or phone calls, and I just want to share what some of their perspectives are. T.J. He's a friend that I've known for years, and his life has transformed in so many ways, from the days that he played basketball at Missouri Southern with my son, and they would often couch crash at our home. He wears a lot of different athletic titles, including a professional MMA fighter, and occasionally he'll drop by the clinic and he'll tell the front staff, oh, just let Carolyn know that her black son is here. He shared from his heart the other day over lunch, the reality of the social profiling and the discrimination that he and his family have felt not only in this nation, but also in this very town. But TJ has an incredible legacy of love that he wants to pass on to his very blended family. And he told me, he said, Mom, the racial tension of our nation, it's a sin issue that goes much deeper than a skin issue. Lisa, she's a wonderful nurse. She has worked with me on several human trafficking cases. And the other day I asked if she would wanna join me as I went up to an Attorney General Human Trafficking Task Force meeting. On the way up there, she shared the humiliation that's been leveled against her when people ask her as she walks into their hospital room, what ethnicity she is. And when they find out that she's from China, The sting when they call her out for being a source of COVID. It's incredibly degrading to her. She shared how she has to share with her little sons that we have to put the ignorance of hatred aside and we have to show love forward every day. Over lunch the other day, a sergeant that's here with our own city police department, who really serves on the RISE Coalition with Maggie and I in so many intentional ways to help with the trafficking efforts. He shared the frustration as the debate on police brutality has pitted family members against each other to such a degree that some families can't even sit around the same table. He models for his little daughters that their daddy is a man of integrity and that he will not be dissuaded from putting on the uniform and protecting others. He shared how he goes to Galatians 6 and verse 9 to not grow weary in doing what is good, and that each day when he gets into his patrol car, before he even leaves the driveway, he reads over and over Joshua 1 and verse 9, be strong and courageous. A friend of mine who's a single mom who I've known for several years, she provides for her children by working in the adult entertainment industry. And she wrote in a public Facebook post the other day, she said, I got a reality check on who's got me and who doesn't in this COVID season. It was topped off by a drive-through of care packages from our work church ladies, or sometimes known as the Sugar Mamas. She said, I may have a job that most people look down on, but there are people out there like you church ladies that accept us for who we are and restore my faith in humanity. Dr. Roberts, he served as our medical director for over 22 years. And each of the thousands and thousands of ultrasounds that have been done at Life Choices over the years that we perform so that individuals, sometimes unplanned moms, unplanned dads, can see that window into the womb to reflect life. He's the one that oversees those services. He's chosen to dedicate his life to protecting the sanctity of human life. And with tears in his eyes, I have heard him say so many times, if I lose my license in defending the life of even one little child, then all the years of hard work in becoming a doctor, it's been worth it all. I spoke with a father who was told that the best thing that he could do for his other children and for his wife was to institutionalize the daughter that they had that was diagnosed with developmental disabilities. But he chose otherwise. And later that same father would sit in a crowded room and would listen to President Ronald Reagan as he shared the first ever proclamation to honor and set aside a Sunday in January for the sanctity of human life. That same father would later be invited to serve at the White House on a committee under the Clinton administration regarding the complex issues of health care for those with physical and mental and developmental disabilities. His daughter would never marry, she'd never have children, she wouldn't hold a job, and she wouldn't ever be able to live on her own. But her life was an imprint on so many others. Each Monday, for several years, when she would get off the bus and walk into her school for the severely handicapped, she'd pause and she'd ask her principal why she didn't see him at church the Sunday before. And in fact, she would say, Mr. Pitts, don't you love Jesus? Well, one particular Sunday, just to get her off his back, he went to church and he never stopped going. Because of her relentless pursuing Him for Jesus, he eventually, along with his family, was baptized. At my sister's funeral, the story of Mr. Pitts and Linda was shared with all that were in attendance. Her life bridged his journey to the foot of the cross and to Christ, and all because a set of OCC grads, my parents, they chose to take a stand to honor and respect the sanctity of human life. In the Old Testament, we're given this command, thou shalt not murder. The ultimate value of human life is very clear as God told Noah in Genesis nine and verse six, whoever sheds human blood by humans, let his blood be shed because God made humans in his image, reflecting the very nature of God in the New Testament, we're given this important commitment to honoring life, but it's not just about taking a stand for life, like in the sixth commandment, but it's even more about how we are to take that stand of obedience. And in fact, it isn't even centered around the spilling of blood, but it is further clarified as a heart issue. And in 1 John 3 and verse 15, It explains that hate is a heart issue that we as Christians are to call into check. In fact, it says, he who hates a fellow human is in fact a murderer. This extends into our very own self-reflection and our acceptance. When we look into the mirror, are we filled with self-depreciating thoughts? Do we question our own value every day in my circle and in my world at the clinic, I see that hurt people hurt others. If we don't value our own life, how can we value and possibly reach out to help others who are hurting? So how do we take a stand for life? Well, we choose to love. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 12, 4 through 5. You guys, you know it well, and it was read earlier this morning. But it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then Mark 12 and 31, it records that Jesus adds, Love others as well as you love yourself. There's no other commandment that ranks with these. When we are tanked up with God's love, His love will spill out to a very hurting world. We will respectfully and we will peacefully choose to walk with others in affirming all lives. We'll step up to come alongside that single young mother who's chosen not to abort the child within, but we'll walk alongside as she makes that adoption plan or as she parents her baby. We'll choose to lavish love on that young woman that has had an abortion because she felt she had no other option. And we'll love her, we'll love her without shaming her. We'll value the life of the exotic dancer who uses her body to pay for her college tuition and we'll choose to spend hour after hour, and sometimes year after year, cultivating a genuine friendship. We'll take a stand for her life, and we'll take a stand for others who have been caught up in the web of human trafficking by choosing to step away from the degradation of pornography consumption. We'll offer access to that confidential, compassionate, medical services, no matter what the gender, no matter what the sexual orientation. And we'll choose to stand up against the prejudice and against the disregard for those who don the blue uniform to go out there and protect our communities. We'll gently, we'll confront that roommate who shares a joke that might demean the life of another based on ethnicity or color or even ability. We'll take a stand. We'll take a stand against racism every day, not just when it's trending in the streets. And we'll choose not to pull someone in to our circle with Jesus, but we'll choose to take Jesus to their circle and let Jesus do His work among them. We'll commit as students, and professors and staff here at this institution of higher learning will commit as OCC community to be able to live a life of love and we'll choose to teach those in our family, those in our Sunday school, from behind the pulpit, those in our youth groups, in all spheres where we work, we will choose to teach others the sanctity and the respect of all life. You know, Mother Teresa, she was this incredible powerhouse and an influencer that just changed the world for so many people. But she said the quote, do ordinary things with extraordinary love. Let's be the church. The church that leads the charge to love, and to make sure that we are part of creating a culture that chooses to stand against the murder and the hate and to love the next generations into being a culture for abundant life.